What is shaking, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time listening, welcome aboard. Thanks for tuning in. Fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you just go ahead and click subscribe on iTunes, those new episodes will pop into your feed as soon as they're available. And if you want to help support the podcast in a free way, go ahead and cruise to the bottom of the podcast page, click the five stars, write a review, say a few nice words, and that will help propel the podcast into the top of those iTunes charts. It'll make it more nationally visible for people to find, strangers to find it, and uh, hopefully provide some more exposure for the folks that that come on the podcast and and share their their art or their music with us. It's also a, uh, a great way to contribute to the sustainability of the show. And uh, you can also check out the Dan Cable Presents YouTube channel, which features a bunch of in-studio performances as well as live performances. You can hit subscribe there as well, and you'll know when new videos are available. DanCablePresents.com is the, uh, the central location to find all of these things. The new episode is always there on Friday as well. We got a killer episode. We got Zach Clark on the podcast and I'm incredibly pumped to get into it. I just want to shout out a couple calendar dates before we get into my chat with Zach. First of all, August 26th is a show here in Portland, Oregon at the liquor store. And uh, that's a Haley Johnson show. Haley was on last week's episode of the podcast, one of my favorite conversations. So definitely make sure you go back after you listen to this one and check that one out if you have not already. So August 26th. At the liquor store, Haley Johnson. And then September 5th, this is a big one over at Alberta Street Pub in Portland. September 5th, with Brother Not Brother, they will be re-releasing their first record with a couple extra tracks. And the duo, for the first time, will play as a five-piece band, which I am so excited about. It's going to be a killer night. Fox and Bones, also on the bill I encourage you to get tickets for that one early. I think that show is going to sell out. And uh, if you don't want to miss it, just get your tickets now. They're available on the Alberta Street Pub website. All right? That's that. Now, I'm incredibly geeked. I'm incredibly stoked. This is a very special episode of the podcast for me. I mean, holy shit, we got Zach Clark. Zach Clark is on the show. If you don't know Zach Clark... He is a uh, he's an amazing singer-songwriter, great musician, and he's releasing a uh, a self-titled record on August 31st. And I've had the pleasure of uh, listening to this record a few times through and it will easily be up there for my my top albums of of 2018. I just have so much respect for Zach's songwriting and such a pleasure to to kind of get some insight on that. He also has 
a few other records that are available on iTunes and Spotify that I would encourage you to check out, especially Young Volcanoes, which I was able to pick up a, vol- um, a vinyl copy of that at the uh, the show that they that he and his band played over at the Goodfoot here in Portland, Oregon. But along with Zach's solo work, he also plays keys in Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness. And for anybody that knows me, knows that that Andrew McMahon is is definitely up there for me as far as favorite musicians or or songwriters. I have followed something corporate since the early days and on through the Jack's Mannequin era. And now we have Andrew McMahon in the wilderness. And I am such a big fan of of that dude's songwriting and, and his records are so important to me. I was I, I listen to them regularly. They're they're something that I, I put on sometimes when I'm having a rough one. I think that they've always been given me some comfort and uh given me a reason to smile i was i was listening to leaving through the window something corporate's first full length today and uh it's never it's never a nostalgia thing it's it's always something that that still makes sense to me and and stuff that i love very much so to have zach on the podcast is just a it's a big it's a big deal to me I want to thank Mike Porman, Zach's tour manager, for um, helping make this happen. He, I had the opportunity to hang with him for a little bit, and he was incredibly kind. And this is just so rad to get to sit down with Zach and, and talk to him about his his musical journey a little bit, as well as as find out how he got involved with Andrew McMahon and and to geek out with him about his new record which i love so much and we have the pleasure of of sharing a few tunes off that record during this podcast and you can also there's a handful of them that are already available on on itunes and spotify so if you dig what you hear check those out but the full-length record is really where it's at and there's there's a lot of tunes um that have not been released yet that that are my favorites on the record so uh, I'm looking forward to everybody getting ears on the full length, but uh, this was a special conversation that I had with Zach. He immediately put me at ease, and I quickly learned through this conversation that that Zach is uh, very introspective and seems like a dude that lives his life with a lot of intention. And I felt like I could have talked to him with for hours if we had the time. And um, I just appreciate the time that he did give me because I know we went we went quite over the the allotted time that I originally had, and uh, the conversation was just flowing. and And he was more than happy to uh, to keep chatting it up with me. And uh, I think right from the get go, just from meeting him. He made me feel like he was excited to do the podcast, and and that was that was so cool for me, man. And then to get to see him play new and old tunes with a full band, including a couple guys like Bobby Ra and Mikey the Kid, who are also a part of that Andrew McMahon world in in some parts. Bobby Ra played towards the end of the Something Corporate era and he played throughout the jack's mannequin 
time. And uh, yeah, Mikey's been playing bass and other instruments for Andrew for a long time now. So it was cool to get to see those guys in uh, in a different setting, but also to see how that, that world continues to expand. And, and they were just such a killer band, Sam Smith on drums. And it's something special when you get to see a whole band singing together and they they all all had mics and just beautiful harmonies and a, a really killer set they ended up playing an aretha franklin cover towards the end of the night rest in peace aretha franklin one of the most powerful voices to uh ever hit the universe and uh so that was that was a very special moment and a cool way to uh you know to pay tribute to her but uh yeah, like I said, man, this is this is one of those episodes that's very special to me, and um, I just felt like Zach came on and and dropped so much so much knowledge and and uh, a lot of positivity, and I I just enjoyed getting to hear his outlook on life and and to get to further understand a little bit where he comes from and and his writing. He has so many lines, especially on this new record, that um, that very much stick with me. So I appreciate the fuck out of this conversation, and uh, it's it's surreal sometimes when you you find yourself in these situations that that you never saw coming, and it was uh, a true pleasure to get to hang with Zach. He, he is such a, a warm presence. I respect the hell out of his songwriting and uh, to know that he is a, a dude that is, is way cool and, and way fun to hang with always makes it that much sweeter when you, uh, when you get to have those, those types of interactions with people that, uh, that you look up to. And if you can't tell, I'm, I'm excited as fuck to share this with you, so we're going we're gonna to get right into it. The uh, I will put all of the the links in in the episode notes so you can follow what Zach is doing. I believe there's a maybe a few tour dates left. Um, they're definitely towards the tail end of this thing, so I'm glad that I had the opportunity to see it in the uh, the live setting. And uh, the record comes out August 31st. That's the self-titled record. And uh, I also believe that another single dropped off that record today called Dennis Rodman. So if you dig what you hear, go find more of it. Go find those available tunes and make sure that uh, maybe you pre-order a copy. And make sure you go and support Zach Clark and his band when, when, they're, when they're out and about in your area. Go tell them, say what's up. Get a hug from this guy. He's a, he's a, he's a killer hugger. And uh, he might have the best, not even might, he's got the best goddamn beard that's ever been on this podcast. So uh, show this dude some love and uh, check out check out his record when it drops on August 31st. We're going to kick things off with uh, a jam off that self-titled record, and it's called Love You Later. Don't forget to leave your iTunes reviews. Thanks for tuning in. The support means the world to me, and uh, I know there's a few of you out there that, that realize how, how special an interaction like this with Zach Clark is for me, so... Much love to you all. Stoked to share this beautiful conversation with you all. 
episode 124. Zach Clark's on the show. Let's get into it. Let's do the damn thing. So many times too Either give you space Or come and find you I've resigned to being here To remind you Of shadows that you can't let go Zach Clark, stoked to uh, stoked to hang with you for a bit before you uh, play your show here in Portland, Oregon. I've uh, I've seen you play music a few times with Andrew McMahon in the oh, Wilderness. Shit. Cool. Um, but this is my first time having the opportunity to see you play some of your solo tunes. So, well, here we are. This is the first time I've had the opportunity to bring these solo tunes around. Yeah. To this extent, so. For sure. It's such a pleasure to be back in Portland. We, 
We were just talking earlier, me and Bob, about how magical that show at, uh, what was it, the Hawthorne? Just this spring was. It was unbelievable. That was, uh, was that the strip down? Yeah. Tour that you guys were doing? Yeah, and we missed Alan Stone that night. He had a, either had a wedding or a festival. I can't remember which, but either way, it was a fully legitimate excuse, and we fully took advantage of his absence and bought a curly blonde wig for our tour manager and for Bob. And, uh, <laughs> well, you can, you can do the math. <laughs> That's killer. Um, yeah, I definitely want to talk to you about your new record. That's that's going to drop here in August. Hell yeah, Mike said Mike said he passed you a, a link to it. Yeah, man, I've been geeking out on it today, and nice. I've been going pretty heavy on the tracks that you already had available on the on the pre-release. Amazing. Which I think is such a cool thing now, having these kind of pre-releases available to people to kind of give them some some reason to maybe like save that in their iTunes library, uh-huh. so that when it's a like completely available, it's already there, and you're already kind of kind of into it yeah yeah i dig it i mean it's kind of a it's kind of the way we've i hesitate to use the word always because a i wasn't around for most of the architecture of the business or whatever whatever the ruins of of the business happened to be um nor has it been that long so always isn't the right term but you know i i think singles have already already kind of been a thing forever you know there's a there's a fascination that I have with the fact that back in the day you had to make a bunch of singles and they had to all stick for you to get the chance to make a record. And, uh, you know, the only thing that I love more than the rest of it is preserving the magic of that first listen to the record. So for me as a listener and for me as an artist, there was no chance I was going to release the first song or the second song off the record. You know what I mean? Like it has to, it has to preserve that mystery for the first listen to the full length for me just as a guy who used to fucking wait until the end of the day of school on a tuesday afternoon to get picked up and go grab that new record by whoever it was you know and just hear the first couple of seconds the first time you put it in it was such magic because you had no idea unless it was the single and i usually i called that jive yeah man i was like damn and I, I I dig that as well. Like I I dig that approach because I feel like that, especially with your new record postcard from your lovable stoner boyfriend, is that first track. And I feel like that like really sets the table for the for the album. You know, it's like this introduction into the world that you're gonna enter for for this listen through. Cool. I'm glad it I'm glad it sounds that way to you. Um, I definitely also want to talk a little Andrew McMahon in the wilderness, but I kind of want to start at the beginning of the musical journey for you and find sure. out a little bit about that stuff so where where are you originally from uh gosh that's an interesting one because i'm i'm never quite sure where uh where to situate myself there because i'm from connecticut in the sense that i was born in connecticut a lot of my family is from there both of my parents grew up there but i did most of my growing up in vermont vermont is one of those states where you don't get to claim it if you weren't born there and if you didn't have like four generations born there before you love you vermont um and of course we can't make any generalizations here regardless of of what they're about but i never felt quite like i could say i'm from vermont nor could i say i'm from connecticut so i i'll say the driving back and forth between those places precipitated my love for being on the road and my love for driving and my love for touring the way i do and the fact that i kind of had one foot in 
each of those places growing up made me feel predisposed to like sorry that's my oh you're all right it's my bongo drums that tell me <laughs> tell me what to do it's like i joked with my bandmates earlier today that my alarm goes off to tell me when to breathe in and breathe out sometimes <laughs> um but yeah i i really think that uh that a lot of a lot of my belief that we're all kind of from earth and that's about as specific as we can get comes from not really knowing whether I was from Connecticut or from Vermont growing up, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how early on did you, uh, pick up an instrument and kind of catch that music bug? Well, I, I caught the bug before I picked up an instrument. And that's to say that when I was a little kid, my earliest memories are getting one of those little, um, kind of like play school kitchen sets from some well-meaning relative or another that was like, you know, this is a thing that you get for a kid and they learn a little bit of domesticity off the, off the top. And I was like, nah, fuck that. I'm going to bang on this shit and record it. And I had like a little dual deck tape recorder that I think was a, my first Sony type thing, like yeah. a little kid's thing. And, and I would just every holiday, and this was like three, four years old, all I wanted for my birthday, all I wanted for Christmas was blank tapes. Um, I just actually got a USB drive in the mail from my dad, I think last Christmas or a couple Christmases ago. And, and, uh, he didn't even write a note with it. I don't think it was just a USB drive and I put it in and it was like Christmas morning when I was five or so, um, opening up presents, but there was a note from Santa Claus in the, in the presents or in the whatever. And it just said, dear Zach, uh, I really loved your note this year. I wish I could have gotten you blank CDs, but the truth is they haven't been invented yet. So hopefully tapes will suffice for now. So I was, early on it was not even about instruments, it was about songs for me, it was about being excited to figure out how melodies worked, how that feeling that I got from listening to a song on the radio or hearing Dan Fogelberg records when my mom would play them when I was a kid, how that all worked, how the, how the song could evoke such a feeling in me and how I could replicate that. And for a while it was kind of like just me and my voice and me and my hands banging on whatever percussive substance or surface I could find. So you're just super infatuated by like the process and, yeah. and piecing everything together. Yep, exactly, exactly. And the, the instruments I always tell people, you know, uh, as, a, as an instrumentalist, I don't consider myself to be a a piano player or a drummer or a bass player or a guitar player. I dabble in all of them and, and piano feels most comfortable to me as a songwriting tool, but I'm just banging on all this shit to try and find the song. That's the deal for me. That's interesting that that's kind of the way you got into the music. Um, only because when I, when I listen like to your records, I think it's very clear to me that you seem to have like this kind of undeniable touch on the keys. Mm. And and I think for so long, music was like all about lyrics to me. And now it's become all about the feel of a song. Mm. So it's it's interesting. Maybe maybe you just like figured out the feel of, of songs even before you started picking up an instrument. I would I would thank you for that uh that compliment and I'd say yeah if anything that's that's what I've been lucky enough to get is just the feel and it's kind of what I search out all the time you know it's like 
it's one of those things that takes you forever to figure out what it is that you're looking for. And even then it can't be named. And when you really figure out what it is, it's because you figured out that you'll never figure out what it is, but you find it in every show, especially with this band that I'm playing with right now. It's like, <clears throat> we're so gleefully unattached to a, to a track or to a grid that it's always just like this amazing gift and, and list of gifts where you, all of a sudden you lock in with someone across the stage. I'm, I'm looking at Sam, our drummer, and we both just barely go behind the beat just for fun, just because we're looking at each other and we can telepathically communicate that. It becomes about that feel. And the feel is just about saying to your, yourself and your comrades and the people who are listening, just saying, fuck it. This is how we feel right now. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Cause I think, I think that's like where the energy and lie, like actually lies is like in those moments too. And not like necessarily in perfection or anything. You're good. They're not going to pick up. Yeah. Anything yeah no, it's mics. all good. I, I'm uh, once I hear another conversation happening while <laughs> I'm having a conversation, you ever, you ever had that cell phone thing happen where all of a sudden there's like a, half a second delay on your voice. Someone plugs you into their car stereo yeah. and, and all of a sudden it's like, hey man, um, I'm actually losing my mind all of a sudden over here because all I can hear is me coming back to me. <laughs> That's what happens when someone rolls by and they start chatting. I'm like, mm, I'll wait until you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Was the, uh, the piano then the first instrument that you uh, gravitated towards? Um, it was, it was because my great-grandmother passed away when I was a young, young dude, and my mom and all of her sisters and I think a bunch of the cousins and, and everyone got like a few hundred bucks from her, but it was with the stipulation that they had to buy something to bring music into the home. My great-grandmother on my mom's side was, uh, was this amazing, just matriarch of the family, just presided triumphantly over these big Italian affairs and... Uh, I'm told, I don't think I ever got to see it in, in my life, but <clears throat> I'm told there were legendary nights where she would roll a, a piano out into the middle of a big party and just kind of preside and get sing-alongs going. And, you know, I never got to know that side of her. She was, a, she was an older woman and just a silver-haired badass when I was like two, three years old. That's about all I got. But um, we got a piano and that was kind of, it was the traditional thinking of a parent at that time. It was just like, all right, you'll learn the piano and you'll go take lessons because you can get the solid foundation. And that lasted exactly up until the point where I wrote a song or I like thought I was working out a song and played it for my teacher. And I'll never forget. She was just like, that's really not what we're doing here. <laughs> and I was like, but that's just what I did. And she was like, yeah, but we have like, pieces to learn for the Halloween recital you got to do like the pumpkin dance and the march of the pumpkins and the jack-o'-lantern <laughs> jam or whatever I was just like um hold on one second I remember walking out to the car and my mom was out there waiting and reading or something I was just like I think I'm done I think I'm totally done with this and so I really only took piano for a couple of years I did like you know 
the things you do in piano as a kid and tried to learn to sight read and I wish I had stuck around a little bit longer but yeah I'd, I'd learned just enough to figure out how to get some song ideas down and moved on and learned just enough drums and just enough bass and just enough guitar to try and get those song ideas down so yeah did you kind of fall in love then with the the songwriting more than anything from a pretty pretty young age yeah it was always that it was always it was always songwriting and recording and the process of using like you know you've the the podcast listeners can't see it i don't know if that you have a picture of it on your on your site or anything but like this mixer that you have is basically like what i eventually got into it was like a little 8 or 16 track standalone mixer and just the ability to stack stuff start with piano and vocals stack some drums redo the piano so that you could fall in the groove with the drums redo the vocal play some bass maybe you got to redo the drums maybe you got to redo this maybe you just add a, a tambourine to glue it together and stack harmonies and stuff like that that became the fascination for me and uh yeah same shit man same shit those bongos <laughs> the thing about the thing about setting an alarm for yourself on your phone is that it's hard to find where it is to turn it off <laughs> Because if you hit snooze, it just keeps coming back. It doesn't. It doesn't turn it off necessarily. That's true. Which is as we've as we found <laughs> here. Um, as I keep interrupting our beautiful conversation. Oh, you're all right. <laughs> it's. Um, did you, did you always feel like, you wanted to be like someone that had their own band rather than be in someone else's band? Yes. Yes. When I was when I was a much younger dude. I was, I was very much of that mind and I had, I think it came from a bit of an inferiority complex based on the fact that I didn't really learn how to play any of these instruments. I, I played them all intuitively. It was always like, I'm playing piano by year. I, I kind of intuitively learned Nashville numbers without knowing what that was. Everything was just kind of like, you know, a one, a four or a five to me and, and, and it could transpose, but I just never had the energy to learn songs until much later on when I realized how much I loved these songwriters that I became friends with or songwriters that I just became such a huge fan of. Um, so yeah, originally I was very much like, no, I'll play my songs. And if there's a group of people that can gather around and play them, great. If I got to play them by myself, fine, but not really interested in being a muso and not at all interested in like soloing and fucking you know being keyboard guy <laughs> you know so yeah i know i know you put like your feet first ep out around 2006 is that accurate that's true though it is a bit of a revisionist history and that's that is my revision um which is to say that the first thing i ever put out when i was a kid was my freshman year of high school and that was like an ep that I don't think you can find on the internet anywhere anymore unless you did some serious digging and you had some some friends who could tell you what the band was called. Um, and then I put another solo record out at the end of high school, but that one was like, by the time I went to the studio to record it, I had already recorded most of it at home and I abandoned all of my home recordings thinking, you know, go to the studio, that's what you do. 
and it will sound finished and it'll sound ready for the world. And it took me years. It took me until this record that's just about to come out to realize, no, no, the stuff that you're working on, the, the moments of tinkering with those original recordings, that's your record. And the soul is in there. And then if you squash that and run into a studio with someone who's well-meaning and, and excited to do a project but hasn't really been there from the start or your tracks aren't there from the start, you're going to miss the whole soul of the thing. And so that's what happened with that. And I was really young. And I was still very young when I deleted it from the, the record of, of the Internet. But I'm sure you can find it somewhere. Yeah. When do you... Uh start pursuing it seriously or like start kind of making a career out of being a musician? Um, well, for me, it was, it was serious from the get go and I didn't ever feel like I had anything else I wanted to do, but I was very much, um, I was very much in a holding pattern with that desire and that plan because, um, my whole family on my dad's side, I always kind of grew up with a, a kind of resonant tone from them of like, yeah, that's a, that's a cute little hobby. Um, but, uh, eventually, you know, you're going to have to fucking do something that's respectable that the world's going to understand and that could validate you as a human being, not just some sort of, you know, fucking dreamer and, uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, so for a while there was there was a voice that I took on of theirs that was like yeah well you know thanks for telling me you liked my songs or thanks for letting me sing my songs but you know of course I'm gonna have to learn about business so I'm gonna have to learn about the world as it is in reality and all music will be a lovely hobby and a pastime and before I knew it I was saying that even though I didn't ever believe it it just kind of it's funny how those things can seep in so it it took me a while but it was it was always the intention you know i think i started touring right after high school it took me like six or seven years to finish college um because i would just quit go on the road come back quit go on the road come back etc so it's just been uh it's been with me for I've been on the road for 12 years, I'd say, at this point, sporadically, and then less so now. <laughs> yeah, is that, was that always kind of like a mix between doing your own solo stuff and maybe as a player in other people's bands? Yeah, the first, uh, the first band that I played in as a, as a hired gun was now my, my dear friend Coley O'Toole's band, um, it was called the Queen Killing Kings, and Coley is a Coley's a member of a band called We the Kings now. Um, okay. And Coley, I think when I first met him, he had been playing with a, a young woman named Charlotte Sometimes for quite a while, and uh, she, I mean, it's just it's wild to say, but that band, which included two members of Hot Rod Circuit, Joe Bolero and Dan Duggins. Um, it's kind of the skeleton key to everything I've done ever since. And, and even some things I'd done before, cause our, our tour manager on this run, our merch manager extraordinaire, one of my best friends, Mike Porman, who you met before. Yeah. Shout out Mike and, Porman. Yeah. Shout out to Mike. Um, 
he was the guy that produced that EP from 2006, and I was a huge fan of his band. We hit it off really quickly, and I was I really looked up to him, and I still do, and and I think we looked up to each other. You know what I mean? And that weird kind of that great gray area of mentorship where you're like you're really inspired by the person that's being inspired by you and um yeah he introduced me to those guys initially and those guys introduced me to jack's mannequin the whole that whole crew and uh here we are kind of it's a reductive way to say it but you know mike borman the skeleton yeah. key along with dan duggins and uh and joe Bolero. yeah so. i guess that was kind of my my next question was how do you end up meeting andrew mcmahon and I guess it's from colliding into the, the Jack's mannequin world there. Yeah, and it was intentional. I won't lie to you at all. It's it was like <clears throat> it was an it was an early experience for me of like taking a deep breath and continuously trying to reach out from any angle I could find to someone I really believed in as a as an artist, as a songwriter and uh and as a possible collaborator like I just recognized a kindred spirit and and wasn't going to stop until I figured out how we were going to work together which gratefully so to him uh, that that wasn't interpreted totally as like okay this kid won't stop <laughs> get him out of here you know I mean I'm sure at some point there there were a few of those yeah uh, conversations but uh but yeah no it was it was very much like me as a young dude trying my best to connect with people that I, I loved and, and revered from afar. So, Did uh, you and Andrew seem to have kind of a connection right off the, the get-go after you had the chance to establish a relationship with him? Uh, you know, I will say it's, it's hard to say because, A, it was always in the context of a show. Okay. And uh, it's a beast to get through one of those nights depending on what the tour is like and he was in kind of a wild time in his life now that I've gotten to know him and spend a lot of time with him the time we met was just after he had been sick and gotten better which you know I think sent him into a period of life that I was also in which is to say I you know like just kind of blurring all the edges together so to speak you know so yeah. uh, we connected in the sense that the first night I met him, he had heard my record already because he had a little imprint of a record label at the time. And I think someone had passed it to him. I had a bunch of pals and, and folks who I, at the time, could have called fans, I suppose, but have now become just amazing friends over the years and just huge supporters of my stuff. But yeah, when we met, he was like, oh, you're Zach Clark. You're, you're that kid that people have been telling me about. And... He was just, he was always so kind as, as he is to pretty much anybody. And that's one of his greatest strengths. And one of the things that I look up to him for is that he's so open and he's so kind that amazing things show up for him, amazing opportunities and, and moments show up because from the outside, at least he's he'd rather expect that it's going to be awesome and it's going to be magic than be guarded or suspicious. And so that works out in everybody's favor at yeah. the end of the day. So. Yeah. I don't know, man. I've, I've been, I've been following Andrew McMahon since the something corporate days and I grew up pretty close to orange County. So oh, no like I, felt, I always felt like it was really close to me too. As soon as I discovered it. 
and you know just always supported whatever was going on whether it was the, the something corporate the jacks and then him eventually starting andrew mcmahon in the wilderness but there's just something special about the the groups of people that he attracts to those shows it seems that it that is very special and and he always seems like a guy that just always recognizes all of those people somehow and whether it's in creating a set that maybe showcases the entire catalog in some way and i don't know it just just seems to be a very very cool presence and and he's definitely like this dude that's on my rush more of singer songwriters or, or whatever it's just it's like my favorite thing in the world so um yeah, what was it like for him to reach out to you to like be a part of Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness? Uh, it was amazing. It was a it it was a trippy story in and of itself. First of all, before I forget, you're gonna have to ask me to find this Mount Rushmore T-shirt design that just popped into my head, as you said, on the Rushmore of of singer songwriters. In the spring, we had. <clears throat> To this day, actually, I don't know who designed it, but we were all joking around that it would be awesome to have myself, Bob Oxblood, Alan Stone, and Andrew all on Mount Rushmore. And someone <laughs> did it, and it showed up in our group text at some point, and it's fucking hilarious. But um, to speak to your question, uh, when Andrew called me, he was looking for kind of like a, an all-around ox guy who could do some guitar stuff, like he was going to have a guitar player in the band and then he wanted to have like keys, guitar, vocals. And he called me and asked if uh, asked what I was doing and uh, and if I wanted to play. But I kind of was straight up with him and I was like, I don't play that much guitar. I've never played an electric guitar gig, you know. And he was like, ah, oh, man, well, damn, next time. And then I, I was like, all right, cool. And then I was like, fuck that. <laughs> and I called him back and I was like, dude, I just want to play keys. I'm level with you. I there's not really a good chance that I'm going to be your guitar guy. But dude, I'll come for free. I don't give a shit. I just want to add that to your band. And he was like, I don't know. I'll think, you know, like I'd put him in kind of a an ethical bind of some sort cuz he was like, oh, well, you know, that sounds awesome and I called you, but I kind of wanted this other version of you. And at some point, I'll never forget it. Um, it was, it was a really sad day because it was I was in the town next to Newtown, Connecticut, yeah, where the school shooting was um, in 2012, like late 2012. And I will never forget getting on the on ramp to go visit my girlfriend at the time in Boston. And Andrew pops up on my phone. It had been like a week or two since we last talked, and he goes, "Hey." leap of faith, get a ticket and we'll see you out here. And rehearsals start in like five days or whatever. Merry Christmas. I'll see you soon. And, and it was just as simple as that. And, and yet it wasn't because every time he makes a record, every time we get a, a tour going and really anytime I do a tour or anytime I, I get ready for a show of my own or play with another band, there's always that same feeling of imposter syndrome where you're like holy shit what did i talk myself into and to what degree does reality actually align and and yet like you said he is a guy that 
surrounds himself with incredible people. His the core of the Jack's Mannequin crew that kind of rolled into the solo project with him, J Mac and and Mikey, just yeah, incredible man. dudes. I brought Joe Bolero from Hot Rod Circuit and from my band and from the Queen Killing Kings on with us, and uh, we just had so much fun. And and yet at all times I was like, oh my god. I am just a guy that's lucky to be here. This could end at any time. And it's been so glorious that at every bend, we have both found something incredible to learn from one another. And, and with every record he makes, with every record I make, there's more to the conversation. And we find out more and more of how much of a fan of one another we are and how much we lean on each other for, for support in that arena of just continuing to make something that feels like you you know that's pretty so. fucking cool man you kind of changed the makeup of like the live band in some ways then because for so long there was a guitar player <laughs> touring you know with him and like as soon as the wilderness thing started that was like when there was no guitar player on stage anymore which yep. it was such a i don't know i think it was such a cool change especially for someone like me who's seen kind of all stages of the game at this sure. point like it was it was like what there's no guitar player but then when you saw it all come together it was like oh this is rad like yeah i think i think it made space for exploring a lot more vocally and really giving his voice space giving his piano space and then really digging into the layered and lush harmonies that that were such a hallmark i thought of his records all the time you know he's a dude who grew up on Billy Joel and the Beach Boys and yeah I'm a dude who grew up obsessed with the idea of harmonies and backup vocals and fun trippy overdubs and so I just always wanted to hear more of that I loved Jack's Mannequin and I loved something corporate and at the same time I always was like another guy another guy would really <laughs> wrap this thing up just right you know yeah buddy um, cool, man. Let's uh, let's take a little musical break and jump into a song off your new record called Simple Touch. Let's do it. This is it. Red threads and twists of fate
found I didn't know How all these things may turn to desert dust Our sins may shatter in the again simple touch jam so much and uh-huh. like when i first put it on i immediately get those those tom petty vibes man and and it's it just kind of screams it screams california to me in some oh, really? way yeah interesting cool and i don't know there's other there's other songs on the record as well that kind of have that feel too that and you know just anytime you're making california references they kind of resonate with me because sure. that's, that's where i'm from and whatnot so i definitely get those vibes but yeah, what would you say from an emotional standpoint, like what, what drove a song like Simple Touch? Well, it is a California song, I'll say that for sure. Simple Touch Simple Touch came exactly and specifically out of an image. And it's an image that was something I, I ran by every day when I was living in Silver Lake. Um, it was this kind of, I mean, well, it's the best way I could think to describe it was a roadside altar. It's like this little altar on some random street, the name of which I never knew because I just ran by there and never paid attention. It was navigating by feel to the reservoir where I used to run all around. And, and uh, <clears throat> it was a cute and kind of creepy little altar on the side of the road with a bunch of figurines in it. And I don't know if they were all religious or what they all meant to whoever it was that kept this thing up. But one morning I ran by and there were a bunch of shattered idols in there, shattered pieces. And I just, it's like, our saints lay shattered in their roadside altar. And that was it. Like, that was the line. And I just kept fixating on it. And uh, honestly, a lot of songs that I write happen when I'm running. because so I'll, I'll have a line or I'll have a melody and the rhythm of moving gets me gets me excited to tease it out and figure out what I'm trying to say what's in my heart in that moment and uh yeah it was it was very much a song that came from healing my relationship with the west coast and the east coast a little bit and 
kind of, I don't know, dipping into that idea that it can all get totally fucked at any moment. Like at any moment something happens and you're like, oh, well, life's over. Everything is totally destroyed. But then all you really need is contact with another human being and even just like an eye on you, you looking into someone else's eyes and going, I see you. I'm alive too. It took me 31 years to get to this place. And I, crazily to say it, lived through a lot, as have you, of course, Dan. You we're, know? we're all just out here is yeah, the thing that exactly. I've like, kind of like come exactly. to realize. It's, it's funny. Like we're all just, we've all just been kind of placed out in the world and everybody's like, for the most part, I think trying to do their best to do what they think is to be a good person. You know, not everybody is out to get you or. No. And if you, if you, if you believe that everybody's magic, then most people are fucking magic. <laughs> That's the reality. It's like, I mean, I won't say who it was or where exactly it was, but in the last couple of days, there was this amazing moment where someone said, you know, I just got some pizza down the street. And I was like, oh yeah, how was it? And they're like, well, truthfully, the pizza's great, but the guy at this pizza shop was a total dickhead. And I was like, dang, well, I'm hungry. So I went to the <laughs> pizza shop. The dude was the nicest guy ever. And he gave me my pizza for free. And it was all so random and magical. And I, you know, any number of a million things could have been at work. But I walked in wanting that guy to be the man. You know what I mean? And that's just a silly little example. And it's bullshit on some level because again, any number of circumstances affected the outcome on both sides of that. But I just believe it so deeply that if you walk around the world believing that everyone around you has the best intentions and that they are going to feel like their life is, is gratified by working harmoniously with you to make amazing things, even out of just the interaction of like buying your groceries and talking to the person that's at the checkout counter, amazing things are going to happen. Even if it's little things like just a fun, cute little interaction with a, with a cute girl or guy at the, at the grocery store or whatever, you know, that just brightens your day, even for just an instant, it can change the whole fucking world just in little increments, you know, believe that that's some truth. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I think also just, I think it's good to get a, give, give people a fair shake, you know, like with your own personal experience, like people will sometimes tell me like, Oh, I saw like I hung out with this person and this happened. I'll be like, well, I don't know. My experience with that person has been like, so, so positive, you know? So I think, I think sometimes you got to have your own experience with people to, to get a fair judgment of them sometimes, you know? True. But what you just said is a really interesting thing. And that's a, it's a, it's something I try and remember all the time because like life is tiring no matter what you do no matter <clears throat> how you do it or who you do it with you're going to get tired you're going to get like embattled by just making it to the next thing and especially like we're doing a van and trailer tour right now and I love it for a lot of reasons because you get a bed every night and you 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 know, you're on the road during the day and you get to participate in the travel rather than sleep in your bunk and wake up whenever you want and 
never really be part of the drive. Um, but it can be extra tiring in a lot of ways. And y you remember when, when you start talking about little moments like that where someone's like, oh, yeah, I totally met so-and-so from such-and-such. -such. What a dick. It's like, oh, my God, how, how much of a limit can I put on the negativity that comes out of me no matter how I'm feeling so that never can anyone ever say for any reason like, yeah, I met Zach Clark. He was such a dickhead. It's like, I just, I want to always keep that as a totem for myself. And, you know, apologies. I've probably been a dickhead to a few people along the way because I was tired or I was hungry. I was just... Are you dealing with some shit? Yeah, totally. You know? But you've got to remember too, like give everybody else some grace because you never know. Someone's friend could have just died moments before and they got the text and... And yeah, maybe they're not very nice to you when they're serving you their, their pizza or whatever. It's not for you to say why and nothing should ever be taken personal. It's, I'm a firm believer that always it's true that it's happening and always it's true that you are you. Never is it necessarily true that it, it is happening to you. Those two things are independent clauses and they do not necessarily need to have a, a central meeting ground you know i can dig that I, I yeah i just dig dig your positivity i think is super important to maintain and it's it's tough to do so but oh you got to maintain it that's yeah. the thing yeah. if, you, if you if you don't use it you lose it right you know? um do you feel like uh with this new record that i mean obviously you're you're always trying to do better than the than the last one and and improve but do you feel like you you tapped into something different with this with this record? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this one's special in a lot of ways, but it's special specifically for me because it comes from a few more than a few different writing sessions with different friends and different bandmates over the years, different production realms, so to speak. And this one, like I was telling you before, came a lot from me just embracing the road and recording from the road. So a lot of this record was done out of a little suitcase studio that I have that one of the songs on the record actually was the first thing I recorded with this little pelican full of recording gear that I have. And it was an accident. It's a song called Show Me Your Love. And, oh, man. and it was this weird moment that happened. It was two moments a month apart. One was in a hotel room in Boston, and I was, I was just opening this stuff up to try and do a test recording, just kind of have fun in my hotel room by myself and mess around with some chords that had popped into my head. Now, I had a little MIDI keyboard, and I recorded the MIDI, and I recorded the audio, and I also had a mic set up, but I never sang anything. So I had this little session, and fast forward a little while, my girlfriend at the time and I were living at the Ace Hotel in Los Angeles and uh, I got my gear all set up to play some keys on a couple of records I'd been working on with friends and just for fun I opened up this session and heard this this drum beat and I was like what is that drum beat? Well, it was the sound of the vocal mic that was being left off to the side unused picking up my fingers hitting the keyboard and that became basically the drum beat that you hear at the top oh, of, of show me your love. And it, it was stuff like that, that 
little, little grooves, little ideas that I would save and then go back to months later that built the backbone of this record. There were tracks like, like the one you mentioned, that's the opening track postcard. Um, I wrote that over the course of two little half days with, um, Kenny Harris from Panic at the Disco, who we started writing that song together the first day we met and we recorded it over these two different days where we had no idea where the song was going to go. It was just an exercise of getting to know one another. And, and it was a little kind of idea that had been in my head for a while, but you kind of assume, or at least I have often assumed that you re-record stuff. And that one, we just kept everything, but we kept all the vocals basically. And we kept some of his guitar and some synth stuff that he had thrown in there. And then we rebuilt the song from the ground up with that core kept. So this record for me, more than, more than I am a guest, which was just five days straight, cutting everything and being done with it, mixing it and saying, Finney. Uh, and more than Young Volcanoes, which was a lot of demoing at home, painstakingly rearranging the songs to, to work in the studio and, and you know, taking my time with that in that sense, uh, more than either of those, it feels like it comes from the core of the feeling of being on the road and being alive for these last couple of years for me. So, yeah, man, the, the message has been, uh, you know, it's been received from someone that's oh, listened like yes. front to back, like had the opportunity to, I, I think it's, uh, and from checking out your other records, I just feel like there's, there's just something special about this cool, one that, that like, like I said, it feels like it taps into something different. Um, I think it shows off a lot of dynamic. That Send Me Your Love song is my favorite track on the record. Oh, you're kidding. That's um, amazing. Just, uh, and I, f I somehow fucked up and deleted my notes, but <laughs> you've got like, that's that's just one of my favorite songs lyrically. And the hook on that song is like so simple, but but so beautiful. And then you, you've you got that, I don't have the exact words now, but the, the line of just... Uh, being suspended by wires oh yeah. yeah oh man yeah it's so weird that was a freestyle that whole song was a freestyle out of bed dream still in my head it's an actual dream that i had where i was just on fire in an elevator with my family and then it turned into this little mantra for me of like oh my god this is where i came from everything was supposed to be complex and everything was supposed to be done to the letter in this uh this style that would validate one's accomplishments or one's contributions to quote unquote capital S society and actually fuck it. What if it's love and what if it's, the point is just to get it simpler and simpler and simpler and never do anything you don't wanna do because the world doesn't need more people doing shitty things they don't want to do with a bad attitude about it. Yeah, you just need as many people around you to say, like, why not when you present ideas, too, and just, like, encourage you to, like, do the shit that you actually care about, I think. True. Yeah. And then people who encourage you to not do the thing you want to do, and in, in the case of that song, I wanted to re-record the vocal, because that the vocal on the record is the vocal I recorded in a hotel room in Los Angeles at the Ace Hotel, I put a bunch of compressors on it and a bunch of like inbound reverb, fucked the whole thing up and then left it. And I was like, we can beat this. And we couldn't beat it. And I, and that was I got the vibe. That was all Sam the energy. And, and Pazapia, my co-producers, they were just like, nah, dude, the one that you cut before that kind of, 
kind of feels weird and spacey and like you recorded it in a fucking tunnel. Yeah. That's the one. For sure. Like, Damn. And I love that You're vibe because right. that's the only song on the on the record that kind of has that vocal treatment totally, too. Totally. So it, it makes it special in that sense. But yeah, just so much dynamic, man, because then you move over to like a song like Dennis Rodman, which I, I feel like has like some angst, but so much groove mm. and feel to it. And yeah, I just really love the the production choices in, in general because I don't feel like you went too fucking willy nilly with all the production <laughs> and made it like so layered that you couldn't hear like the bare bones of the song in there. Like it's a very nice balance I find. Oh, like, well, like, thanks. Yeah. It's fun. It's to me, it feels like a kaleidoscope, a very colorful palette of, of grooves and speeds and, uh, and concepts and, and vibes that I wanted to explore. And, and feels like a wide lens view of who I am right now. It feels like the speed and the, the vibe of how I walk and how i I am in this world, so it's a joy to get to sing all those songs. Fuck yeah, man. Uh, we'll leave with this, just from listening to the record and listening to like lyrics and stuff, and you're obviously a guy that's on the road a lot. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're constantly kind of uh, trying to kind of, you're constantly maybe running out of time with the people you want to spend it with, <laughs> with as being somebody that moves around on the road so much? Yeah, yeah, I do, uh, but... I think that's the, that's the place where I stay in gratitude for all of this too. Like you and I get to see each other briefly and we get to have this conversation that ultimately is just stimulating for both of us. We're excited to toss some ideas back and forth and I'll take it back to simple touch. It's something that I've found myself saying on stage all the time these days because of where it sits in the set list. Um, I used to be a guy that was worried about that shit, that was worried about being down on myself for not being a good boyfriend because I wanted to go on the road or, or not being the family member that was at every birthday and at every holiday and feeling like, oh man, I'm not participating in the right way or to the right extent. But then I was like, wait, but I'm the only one who does it this way. And I do it this way because it's my way. And the world doesn't need me kowtowing to the world. The world needs me, it needs you, and it needs every single other person on it working harmoniously as themselves. And then shit gets interesting and shit feels vibrant. Shit feels like it's in the flow. And quite frankly, we have as much time as we have. And the only way to look at it, even though I fuck this up day in and day out for a minute at least, only way to survive and, and be happy is to be excited about the time you have and be stoked on the love that you get and be constantly finding ways to be more generous with the love you feel like you have, even if you don't feel like you have it, you know, just giving it. Got to dig deep sometimes. Yes, indeed. Well, uh, man, I'm so stoked and incredibly uh, grateful to have the opportunity to, to hang with you and, and talk with you before you're set and just kind of get a little more... Uh, you know, inside look on, on Zach Clark's songwriting and, and your journey. And it's, uh, yeah, dude, the record is beautiful. And I just can't Thank wait. You, I can't wait for uh, everybody to get to, to hear the whole thing. I know some of the tracks are available out there on the iTunes and Spotify for people to listen to and whatnot. But it's true. And the record's available for pre order. We're selling it sneakily at the shows to try and get those first week uh, numbers to wherever we can get them. And, uh, and just, 
realistically to have people have the record in their hands and fucking enjoy it and be here to sing the songs with us, which has been incredible to watch and kind of experience as a, as a songwriter. And yeah, man, by the time this is out, we might have another single out and then shortly thereafter, the whole record's going to be out by the end of this month. And we're just, we're just so stoked. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Well, thanks Zach. I, I appreciate this so much. Yeah. Uh, we end every episode of the podcast uh, with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is, it's a program. <laughs> so if you could give us the Zach Clark, it's a program, we can sail this thing out. Hey, well, uh, listen, Dan, it's a program. You nailed it. <laughs> that was beautiful, man. Uh, thank you again. Thanks, and, brother. And uh, I'm stoked to see you play tonight. We're going to play this episode out with the last song on the record, which is called Mountains. That and, it is. Uh, much love to you, man. Safe yeah, travels. Cheers, man. And uh, until the next time. Love it. We'll catch you on the flip side, Portland. Thank you so much, dude. Life ain't meant to be a straight line. Love ain't a long time. It's like the rough. You get lost looking at the confines. Walls are a great lie. We build up. You believe. Whenever I'm not so sure I believe this is what I've been waiting for Down here in this valley The sun burns slow So we could stick close to our shadows Like there's nowhere else to go Or you could hold on to me day and night There's nothing we can't do I move mountains with you I move mountains
It's been Dan Campbell's Dan Florida. It's a program.